0: All right. after the sermon this morning, I can guarantee you that this will be the shortest hour of your life. If you will, open up to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be sticking right there in that text. We're going to be looking at it uh, pretty closely. Uh, But first off, I want to just say, when you're a minister, uh, there is really just one thing that every time that I meet somebody new or I meet somebody, there's one thing that just kind of always... Makes me a little uncomfortable, and I think Spencer can relate to this, uh, being a minister too, and, and maybe there's some of you that have been ministers before, uh, but there's always this, this thing that happens. I'll, be, I'll, I'll just use this as an example. There was a time I w- when I was working in Alabama, I went to a comic book shop. I was looking at some comic books. I like Spider-Man. So I'm looking at those things, and I'm I'm trying to pick out which ones I don't have, find out which ones I I do have, and this guy comes up, and we just start carrying on our conversation. And he's using some colorful language, uh, and he starts talking about some of the things that he's done and the things that he's planning to do that weekend, and he's inviting me to that kind of stuff, and uh, he's probably mid-20s, early 30s, uh, and he says, he says, yeah, something about work, and I said, so, oh, well, what do you do? And he says, well, I work as a construction worker down at this construction business, and blah blah." blah. so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a youth minister down at the church over here. And it just seems like every time that you answer that question, everybody just like, oh, no, what have I done? And they just kind of, they take it, and they start standing a little straighter, and they start, you know, acting a little they clean up their language, and, and they're like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian too, and, I, and, and I've done this, and I go down to this church, and uh, we, we, we've gone to church every day of our lives. Uh, even when the doors weren't open, we were beating them down. And, and they start throwing in all of this information and it always makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I'd rather the person just be real with me. Like, okay, I'm a youth minister, I get it, but we're in different places in life right now, and yeah, I want to give you some water that, never, that you'll never be thirsty again, but it's okay that you can be yourself. You don't have to like, make sure that you look perfect and make sure that you're standing up straight and using, but it is really frustrating. Tonight we're going to be talking about image. And that's one of the things that we're going we're to discuss a little bit about, about this idea of trying to portray yourself as something that you're not. When we look at what the things that we own, we buy certain clothes because they have a certain logo on them. We buy certain shoes, not because they feel good or they're comfortable, because if we did, then everybody in the whole building would be wearing Crocs, Right? But we buy shoes because we we like the way they make us look. We buy clothes because of the way they make us look. We buy cars because of the way they make us look. We buy houses because of the way that they make us look. We buy things, we invest in things, we do things because we want to make ourselves look better. And that's how our society is. And that's how the society was Back when this scripture was going on in Luke chapter 18, that's that's exactly what was going on. These Pharisees, they hear this man and they don't want to hear him because he doesn't matter. And we're going to look a little bit more into this, but it blows my mind the things that we do to hold this status symbol or this image that we try to portray to people. Uh, When I was in high school, the biggest image that I wanted to portray was that I was a basketball player. And so I had some big old high top shoes that were obvious basketball shoes that I would wear just so that people knew, oh, he must play basketball. I would wear basketball shorts and I would wear jerseys and I would wear stuff like that so that people knew, oh, he's, he's a basketball fan. He likes basketball. I wanted to be known as a player at Holly Pond High School. I, wanted, I played basketball at Holly Pond High School. But there was a day when that wasn't true anymore and I had no idea to, what to do with myself. And when that day hit, one of my teachers was actually walking down the hall, and he says, Hey, who is that man? That, I don't remember who this is. I don't, I, don't, I don't know who this is. And he was talking to me, and I turned around, and I said, Hey, coach, he, he was one of, my, uh, one of the coaches of the junior high team, and he said, Aren't you that old washed-up basketball player that used to play for Holly Pond High School? And I said, I hate you, coach. <laughs> I said, Yes, sir. And I said, you, Aren't you one of those, those washed-up basketball players that used to play for Holly Pond too? And he said, yeah, if you want some proof of that, my, my, my painting and my, my uh, state championship thing is, is hanging up in the gym. Where's yours? <laughs> but we do this thing where we portray this stuff about our image. We want people to think that we are better than what we are. We see, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, we always see something a little bit better on the other side of the fence and I'm going to challenge you, us all tonight that we quit doing that, that we be a little more like this blind man. Let's go ahead and open up to uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 35. Jesus is getting into Jericho, and there's a blind man sitting by the roadside begging. So if we're going to look at this in the, in the plain text, there's a blind man on the roadside begging. So if we, we automatically, as soon as we read those words, we automatically have an image in our head. We know what a blind person looks like. We know what someone begging looks like. We put the two together, and that's what we have. When we see someone who is begging on the side of the road, how do we respond to those people? When we're driving down the road and we see someone on the side, they're begging for money and they're begging, how do we see those people? What do we think? What goes on in our minds when we see those people? And he hears the crowd going by. He can't see. He knows there's something going on. There's a lot of people being really loud around him. And he says, What is going on? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Apparently, this meant a lot to this man. He might not have been able to see Jesus, but he knew he was there, he felt his presence. He knew something big was about to happen and he knew the only person that could help him in the situation that he was in was this man, Jesus of Nazareth, because he had heard a lot of great stories about him. So this man calls out and he says, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. And all of those people that were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Of all the things that this man could have asked for. He's heard stories about Jesus healing people. He's heard all kinds of just great stuff about this Jesus guy. And of all the things that he can come up with to think of, he has this one chance to talk to Jesus, son of Nat, the, 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 a man from now. He has this one opportunity and he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. How many times could we ask that same question? How many times have we asked that same question? You have everything. You have every chance to ask him of anything in the world. And we just say, God, please have mercy on me. Forgive me of those things that I've done. Help me to be a better person. Help me to follow you more closely. And the blind man's in that same situation. There's a stigma in this time that goes around about blind people. Uh, we see proof of it in John chapter 9 uh, when they say, this, who, who, was, who sinned so this man was born blind? So not only was this man not able to carry on a, a proper profession because he was blind, he was having to beg, which is another lowering of status. But there was also the idea that his parents must have been really horrible people because this guy's blind. So he has everything working against him, with the culture, with everybody there, and still he cries out, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me." Everybody says, "Hey, Jesus, Son of David, doesn't care about anything that you have to say." We don't even get the guy's name. Jesus, now don't care about what you say. You're blind. You're begging, and really, you're something happened with you, and you're not even in a safe state. So we don't even care. You need to be quiet so that this guy can actually give us some proper teaching. And he cries out all the more, saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped, and he commanded that the man be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked, what is it that you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, let me recover my sight. And Jesus says to him, recover your sight, your faith, Has made you well. It wasn't Jesus' great power that made him well in the long run. It wasn't anything that the man had had really done. It was the fact that he had faith that Jesus offered something that he couldn't get himself. He'd tried, he'd done everything that he could. We've all been in those similar, similar situations where we find ourselves completely and totally broken where we have these different things going on in our lives, whether it be a sickness, whether it be a, a sin that we just can't seem to get rid of, whether, whatever it is, financial situations, it doesn't matter. Whatever we find ourselves in, we have this sense of brokenness. We have this, this idea that there's something that we ourselves can't fix. But there is someone who can. And this blind man recognizes that. And he says, your faith has made you well. It wasn't the fact that Jesus was there. It was the fact that he believed that Jesus could help him is what made him well. We can, we can really uh, understand that because we have been in those similar situations. He probably, when he asks for this mercy, he probably just means kindness. Jesus, now the son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, will you at least just listen to me? Nobody else will. Mercy is probably understood best whenever we think about the the things that that God offers to us through Jesus. When he says that we're going to get, we earned his favor, we're going to get this undeserved compassion, we're going to get this undeserved grace, and that's offered to us Jesus, have mercy on us. And the crowd is off-put by his abrasive, embarrassing display of need. He wasn't being very image conscious. He wasn't keeping it all together and making sure that he looked right and that he was wearing the right shoes and he had the right kind of clothes on and he was in the right thing and he was driving the right car. He He didn't care about any of that. This man wasn't putting on a happy face. Because this man was broken. He was screaming for Jesus and pleading with him. And the crowd, and don't forget, the crowd included Jesus' disciples, around him didn't like what he was doing. And yet the man didn't care. Because he knew that there was someone there that was going to take care of him. That was going to help him. Jesus' response to him He asked him clearly, what can I do for you? What do you want? He wanted to make sure that the man knew that he was broken. He also wanted to see if the man would have enough faith to ask. And what we can learn from this man's example is how we can recognize our own brokenness and we can have the same response that he had. That we don't care what other people think. We're broken we have faults. We are we are hurt. And there may be some people who are saying, that's not something that you do. You don't go around telling people about the problems that you have. You don't go around telling people about some problems that you may be having in your marriage. That you may be struggling with a relationship with one of your children. We don't talk about that kind of stuff because it makes people uncomfortable. So we keep that down and we don't want people to think that we have marriage problems. So we keep that a secret and we don't want people to know that we have a relationship with our kid that we think is just falling apart. We don't want people to know that. So we push all these things down and we try to hide them as much as possible when what we should be doing is a lot like this blind man. Casting away that image, who cares? I only care about what God thinks of me whether or not my life represents Christ. That's the only image that I care to portray. That's the only thing that I care about. What we can learn from this blind man's example is how we should learn to respond to our own brokenness. That we can honestly say that we can't do this on our own, that we are broken, that we're hurting, and we need someone to help us, and we know who that person is. In 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, if Paul was really concerned about his image and how he could control his image, and he was looking like he had it all together, what could Paul have said? How could he have projected himself to the audience that he had? 1 Timothy 15. I thought I had it marked, but I didn't, so hold on just a second. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 Says they, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. What if Paul cared about his image? What if Paul really wanted people to think that he was something great? He never could have helped people and saying, I'm the foremost, I'm the, I'm the greatest sinner there is. I'm completely broken. I know all of y'all look up to me and y'all see me as this great example, but listen, I don't have everything together. I'm broken, I'm hurting. But he says, but there is one good thing, and that is that Jesus Christ shows mercy to me by offering me this grace that's undeserved, unwarranted. And he knows that Jesus is the only way that he could be made whole. Paul instead says that he he cares more about giving his brokenness to God than making sure that he looks like he has it all together. We all are broken. Everyone in some way has been broken. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus wants to bring us healing. He wants to heal the areas of brokenness that we have in our lives. But we have to be willing to talk about it. We have to be willing to let our brokenness be seen like the blind man did. And when people are looking against you and they're, they're, they're disagreeing with the things that you're saying and they don't like the things that you're saying and they're, they're working against you and they're saying, we need you to be quiet. We don't want to hear about this stuff. We need to be saying it even louder. We need to be talking to people and keeping each other held accountable. Because in our world, that doesn't happen very often. The crowd was uncomfortable because facing people who are open about their brokenness is difficult, and it's more difficult facing our own brokenness. Maybe that's why the crowd was so unnerved, because the man was willing to open up and be open about the things that he needed that it shamed those who were still concerned about the way they looked to a God who didn't care how they looked. As we close out, I wanted to bring up the idea of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was someone who really did not care about his image. We, re- we read about him and all this. He ate bugs and he ate honey and he wore camel skin. And that's, that's who he was. And when he's outside and he's teaching and he's baptizing people as they're coming in, and Jesus and his followers come over to the other side of the, the, the pond or the lake or whatever, the sea, he says, the, the people come to him, they say, you realize that there's another guy over here that's doing something different than you, and he's, he's trying to take over, and he's trying to do, and, and John the Baptist says, yeah, that's what I want him to do. Because he recognizes that his image is to portray God. And that's when he, we see the big saying where he says, I must increase and he must increase. He's saying, that's a good thing that I'm getting smaller and people are following him because the baptism that he's offering is a forgiveness of sins. The baptism I'm offering is not. When it comes to how we project our image to the world, this is what it means to deny ourselves. Our world is all about their selves. We build walls around who we really are, and we project what we think the world wants to see of us. Jesus instead takes that ideology, that whole idea there, and he turns it completely upside down. He tells us, to give up pursuing our own, endur- and our own agenda, to embrace Him and follow Him, and that we can't project a self-driven image and reflect Jesus Christ at the same time. We can either project ourselves or we can project Christ. So what image are you projecting to the world? Are you someone who's so concerned about what other people think that you're wanting to make yourself look greater and better, that you're forsaking your own belief system, that you're... you're not telling people who Christ is that you're so concerned of what people might think of you that you don't talk about your faith or are you someone who projects an image around Jesus that when people spend five minutes with you they know that you're a Christian they want to be a part of the thing that you're a part of what do you think motivates you to focus so intently on shaping and projecting the image that you do and what's keeping you from using your life to put Jesus forward instead of yourself? We all offer a brand. I'm standing here with a sweatshirt on that says Columbia. People know that it says Columbia. But what do they think when they see me? What brand am I putting out to the world? Who am I projecting to our world? Who are you projecting to our world every day we're given these awesome opportunities to be able to to talk to our world to show people who christ is to be the body of christ and give give jesus what he deserves by putting him first being open with each other being open with other people and who cares what society thinks about it because the only thing that we should care about is projecting christ and being open and honest about the the life that we live Today, if you have any need at all, maybe you uh, are in a situation where you feel like you you don't have opportunities like that, that that you have turned down those opportunities where you have a chance to show who Christ is. Maybe you've had a a chance that, that you want to put on Christ, but you're too scared about what your friends may think. You're too scared about what the world may think or what the people in this room may think. Don't worry about it. Christ breaks down those barriers. He tears down those walls. We will all think that you are something important and that you have value. If you have any need tonight, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.